Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 10th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. The National League East race continues to be defined. The Atlanta Braves in first place had a really good day yesterday. Facing the Washington Nationals, they came back a couple of times, and then this happened in the bottom of the 10th inning. The pitch. Swung on, line to left, field, base hit! Braves win! Jock Peterson with the game winner! That was Joe Simpson, 680, the fan. Meanwhile, the Phillies in second place, facing the Colorado Rockies, Philadelphia with a lead, but that changed in the top of the ninth. Pitch. Breaking ball, well hit the right field, and it is gone! First breaking ball of the inning, Ryan McMahon with a two-run shot. Touch them all time. 3-2 Colorado. So the Phillies lose. The Mets were in Miami, and they had a 2-0 lead in that game on Thursday, but the Marlins would come back, and then in the bottom of the eighth inning, this is what happened. Jazz gets a hold of one. A long fly ball, deep to right field. Conforto at the wall. Goodbye! A bunch of the home run towards. Jazz Chisholm with his 15th of the season. And the Marlins grab a 3-2 lead in the eighth. And they would hold on and win that sound from 940 WINZ. Uh, and the Braves, at the end of the day, in first place, extend their lead over Philadelphia and the Mets. On Thursday, Red Sox outfielder Hunter Renfro was on WEI and told uh, the host there that Major League Baseball basically told us to stop the testing and just treat the symptoms in reference to a recent outbreak of COVID uh, on the Boston Red Sox. Renfro continued, and we were like, no, we're going to figure out what's going on and keep trying to keep this thing under control. Well, Major League Baseball reacted strongly to that, saying Renfro is completely wrong and inaccurate. The Red Sox also issued a statement to June Lee of ESPN saying we've been following MLB's COVID-19 protocols all season long. We've consulted closely with them on everything we've done and continue to test. And their medical staff has been very supportive. We're going to be talking about that with Carl Ravitch coming up. The A's and the White Sox in the American League wildcard race and Starling Marte came through for Oakland. Look back in that direction, and he'll spin and throw, and he throws it away. He throws it into right center field. Marte's the third. Waved home by Kotze. He'll get there without the throw in time. Cut off by Abreu. It's 2-1 Oakland. All the way to third base is Matt Olson. Starling Marte on an E1 scores from second base to regain the lead for Oakland. Yeah, Vince Catroni on A's cast. Oakland wins that game 3-1. to one. For the Yankees, the hits just keep on coming. On the same day that Zach Britton underwent Tommy John surgery, the Yankees placed right-hander Jamison Tyone on the 10-day injured list because of a partial tendon tear in his right ankle. Uh, Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, told reporters that Tyone felt discomfort in the ankle toward the end of his start on Monday The Yankees' hope is that he's going to come out of a walking boot on Friday and miss only one start. Going into Thursday's game, Toronto had an opportunity to sweep the series, a four-game series from the Yankees, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did it again. 3-2. Guerrero swings and he skies one out to deep right field. Judge back at the wall. He turns around. It's gone! 
one. An opposite field moonshot from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. His 42nd home run of the season. So the Yankees were swept in four games by the Blue Jays. And during that time, they never even held a lead from the last sports bureau. It's the first time the Yankees never led in a four-plus game series since June 23rd to 25th, 1924 against the Washington Senators. They're going to be talking with Michael Kay, of course, the voice of the Yankees on the Yes Network coming up about the level of desperation for the Yankees. And over the weekend, Taylor, I'm going to get a chance to do uh, a game with Michael Kay on ESPN Radio on Saturday, 20th anniversary of 9-11. And then on Sunday, we've got the Yankees and Mets again on Sunday Night Baseball. What do you got going? Couple things, Buster. First of all, fantasy focus football has been going on all week. I've, I advise you to go back and check it out. They did their week one rankings for the first official weekend of the uh, the NFL Sunday calendar. Uh, of course, you've got the ESPN College Football Podcast that's getting you ready for week two in the college football world. And also, don't forget, check out season two of Greeny Show, Better Days. If there's a game someone's betting on it, stream season two of Better Days, the Mike Greenberg hosted show that brings the true stories of unforgettable gambling adventures to life. All episodes are now streaming only on ESPN+. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Michael Kay is the star of the Michael Kay Show on ESPN Radio and the television play-by-play voice of the New York Yankees on the Yes Network. And on Saturday, he'll do play-by-play on ESPN Radio on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And Michael, uh, I'm sure the pregame ceremonies, and you've seen the itinerary, so have I, will be emotional and they'll take us back to the days uh, that we'll never forget. Yeah, I'm sure they will be emotional. And those are days that, you know, the heart doesn't want to remember because it was so heartbreaking and so many people are still hurting from it uh, 20 years later. But it does serve as a reminder of of what could happen uh, in this country or anywhere around the world. And then we have to, you know, we have to keep our eyes open and and things like that. And uh, I can't believe it's 20 years. And the one thing that, that has bothered me as we come closer to this day, Buster, I've always like associated the word anniversary with a with a happy thing, a happy time, and you know everybody's calling it the 20th anniversary. This this is nothing to celebrate. It's more of a remembrance, but I guess for lack of a better phrase, they are using the word anniversary. Yeah, I get asked the question a lot, you know, by by journalism students or, or you know fans will say, "What's the most amazing thing you ever covered?" And I have to always qualify by saying, "And, and what was the most amazing thing I ever covered was." the events uh, you know, around 9-11 and the postseason afterward. And, of course, 
you hope that you never experience anything like that again. Uh, where were you on that Tuesday morning? Well, I was sleeping and, um, my phone rang and it was my mom and she said, you should put it on the TV. So that made me aware of what was going on. And then shortly thereafter, as I'm just watching slack jawed of what's happening, uh, the phone rings again and it's Al Leiter. Uh, Al Leiter was on the Mets at that point and uh, we had been friends from his Yankee days. And, um, he, he said, Michael, can I come over to your house? And I said, well, why? Well, sure. But where are you? He said, well, I didn't, I didn't travel with the Mets to, to Philly cause I wanted to take my, my daughter to her first day of school. So I was in a cab going to the airport and everything's been closed down and I'm in a cab right now and I have nowhere to go. Uh, and I, at that, at that time in my life, I lived in Hartsdale and Westchester and I said, sure, come on by. And, uh, the cab driver ended up, um, dropping him off at my house. And the weird part, uh, the cab driver, a woman was of middle Eastern descent. And, um, you know, there was like a walkway up to uh, my townhouse where I lived then. And, um, you know, I was walking and she's like trailing behind him, like crying. Uh, we didn't do it. It wasn't us. Oh, and geez. I was like, I know, I know it was just surreal. And he, he gave her a lot of money. He said, listen, don't, don't you, I know you didn't do anything. He said, she was crying the entire ride saying it wasn't her. It wasn't, um, her family or things like that. I mean, it was, it was, it was something I'll never forget how, how strange that was. And then, then Al and I just spent a lot of the time watching TV. And then we ended up going over to my, uh, my sister's house, she lived a couple of miles away and my mom was there and we ate and, you know, and, uh, kept watching TV, couldn't believe what was going on. And then later that night when they opened up Manhattan again, uh, Al took a car service back to be with his family in Manhattan. I had Brian Cashman on the podcast earlier in the week and, and he ran through what I remember so distinctly was that in those first 24, 48, 72 hours, there was real confusion about what was going to happen in baseball. You remember, what do you remember about that? Yeah, I, I do remember that because no one exactly knew, uh, first of all, if, if uh, the country was safe, then no one knew the severity of what was happening. And, you know, over time we did. Uh, and then you didn't know, you know, what would be the proper time to, to start again, if it would be the proper time. I don't think anybody was in the mood. At least we thought this, Buster. I found out later different, but uh, it just didn't seem like anybody was in the mood to watch a silly game. Uh, and you know, the, you know, as, as you know, baseball took about a week off and then came back and, and people were in the mood. People actually needed it. And it did, it, it gave me, um, some clarity on what sports means to people. It, it takes people away from some bad things that are in their life. And, and in this case, there was a bad thing in everybody's life. So uh, they, they needed the sports to be a little bit of a diversion, even if only for three, three and a half hours. Uh, give me a moment that you remember that you felt like it was a pivot point in the understanding of that as you're going through that in the first days after of how baseball, the players, teams help people heal. Well, uh, first of all, you know, I went down at the time the Yankee games were on MSG. Uh, so I, I did pre and post game for them and, and we went down to ground zero and just how people's faces lit up just to see the announcers, you know, we were handing out Yankee hats and things like that. And just people wanted to talk just to take their mind off of what they were doing. People were like still sifting through the rubble at that point. Uh, so I remember that. And then I also remember, and it took about two weeks, the Yankees opened up, uh, in Chicago, as you remember against the white Sox. And uh, John and I were doing play-by-play 
on the radio and and I just I felt weird man I, I felt like I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be doing this it's not right it just didn't feel right and um, you know my silly home run call is see ya and um, you know I, I'm calling the games in Chicago with John and when you know the innings I did play by play somebody hit home run I I couldn't get excited I didn't say see ya and I just said you know it was it was as close to monotone as I come. And uh, I remember getting back to Yankee Stadium, and there were all a bunch of letters that were there from fans, and they said, "You can't do this. Uh, the, the, you, you can't be different on the air because that tells everybody that the world is different. You have to do all the things you do and be as silly as you used to be and joke around with John, and you mm -hmm. have to say see ya because this is how we get away from this awful time in our lives that we can actually not think about it for three hours." as there's a game going on. And if you're announcing differently than you did on September 9th, then we know that the world has changed and, and we're hoping that the world hasn't changed long-term. So that, that's when it really hit me that sports serves as a, as a real uh, a medicine for people. It, it really does. Uh, and sometimes we take that for granted. And I always look at it, you know, we work in the candy store or the toy department, uh, and we do. But I think that people need that. I think it takes people away from the realities the harsh realities of life. Along those lines, uh, that incredible World Series, and in particular, uh, games three, four, and five in Yankee Stadium uh, before that game seven finish, uh, so much emotion in Yankee Stadium at that time. You know, President Bush throwing at the first pitch. And that, by the way, that feels like a million miles away from now because everybody in the country was galvanized behind President Bush when he threw out the first pitch that night. And then the emotional comebacks for the Yankees in games four and five, uh, what were those like for you as an announcer, those games? Well, I'll never forget game three. Um, it, it was, um, it was such a surreal experience at Yankee stadium in that you, you walked in and usually when you walk into a, a ballpark, there, there's a uh, happy, uh, expectation and anticipation, but it was, it was very somber and, uh, the security was overwhelmingly suffocating if I could put it that way. And it took people forever to get into the ballpark. And I remember coming to the ballpark that day to do the game, and I didn't know if if I was safe. I didn't know if it was a smart thing to do. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people since since then who felt the same thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm walking around the ballpark, and again, a very heavy security presence. And, you know, a couple of uh, people that worked at the stadium pointed at the buildings that were beyond the right field uh, part of the stadium. And they said, you see those buildings? I said, yeah. And I said, there, there are guys with rocket launchers up there. Uh, and that, that's just, it almost had a military presence to it. But it, everybody was trying to make it feel as normal as possible. And I just, I just remember the goosebumps uh, that I had and the pride that I felt when, you know, a country that was under siege and had been attacked uh, the, that the leader of, of that country, you know, strode to the mound and, 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 seemingly oblivious to the pressure, you know, through a perfect pitch to Todd Green and kind of like the, 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 the crowd exploded at that point where they, they were happy and they, you know, and there was no polarization and there was no Democrats and Republicans at that time, whether you had voted for Bush or not, you were so proud and he was sending a message to the rest of the world. We're still here. We're not going anywhere. And uh, our lives will not change because of you. And that that was an amazing, amazing moment. And then you find out later that, you know, he was dressed in Kevlar from neck to ankle and uh, that the home plate umpire was actually a Secret Service man. 
um, it was not really one of the umpires. And, and uh, that's how worried people were about an attack. And, uh, you know, you look back on it, and then you're probably a little bit more scared about what you put yourself into at that point than, than you were at that point. So um, that game, I, I remember, was somewhat pedestrian. And then and games four and five were, were forever games. You know, you take away the 9-11 aspect, Buster. I mean, those were just amazing, amazing games that, you know, will go down forever. And if the Yankees had won that World Series, uh, you'd look at those games as two of the, you know, the best games of all time. But since the Diamondbacks won, you just look at them as amazing games, but they don't resonate as much in history for the Yankees as they would have if they had captured that championship. Well, I look forward to and working with you on radio on Saturday, uh, hearing more of your stories and, and memories from that time. Uh, before you go, I, I, I mean, no one I think could have imagined uh, earlier this year <laughs> the desperation for the Mets and Yankees going into the series that I think we're going to feel because the Mets now are hanging by fingernails in the race. And although the Yankees are in the, the lead for the second wild card in the American League, it feels like they're five games behind Toronto based on what we just saw Blue Jays coming in and sweeping four games from the Yankees. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, when I, when I saw this on the schedule, I said, well, this is going to be uh, a celebration and a remembrance of, of, of 9-11, a celebration of the people that, you know, obviously have lost uh, families and that, that they've persevered over all these years. But now this is a very, very important baseball series. And, you know, I've seen this Yankee um, spiral from the very beginning, from the 13-game winning streak to now, where, you know, they're too intense since that point. So what they did was completely eradicate all the good the 13-game winning streak did. I mean, it's an incredibly streaky team and I, I gotta tell you and i know this is gonna sound harsh um they didn't look like they belonged on the same field as the field as the blue jays i mean the blue jays were you know energetic and lively and you know, they hit home runs and the, you know i think they had 11 home runs and the yankees had two and you know the yankees put the blue jays back in the series you know uh, before this winning streak for the blue jays they were nine and a half games behind the yankees and now they're essentially tied so there's three teams for two wild card spots with the same amount of losses, 62 losses, and then lurking right behind is the Oakland Athletics. And, you know, two of those four teams are going to be extraordinarily disappointed and be left out of the playoffs. And, you know, I'm sure the Yankees would be the most crushed. This is a team that's built to win a World Series, not sneak into a, a one-game wild card situation. And as for the Mets, they just finished a, an incredibly, what should have been an incredibly easy um set of games against the Nationals and, and the Marlins and every single game was like a nail biter and a heart beater and things like that and they can't score and they didn't take advantage of you know opportunities to, to gain on the Braves and the Phillies but they're still very much in it so both of these teams could, could easily end up in the playoffs but if one of these teams gets swept this weekend that could that could really spell the end for them. So there's a lot on the line baseball-wise this week. And I don't know that when you, know, you looked at the schedule even two months ago that you thought it was going to have this kind of import. So uh, it's going to be an interesting week in, uh, weekend in Queens. Yeah. Whichever team loses this series, we're going to start to focus on, okay, what changes are coming in the offseason. That's how on edge it feels like these two teams are right now. All right, Michael, uh, thanks for doing this, and I will see you tomorrow. Okay, Buster, thanks. I look forward to it. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. 
NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, host of Baseball Tonight. Of course, play-by-play man for ESPN and Ravi. Uh, look, they scheduled this series uh, on, on ESPN for Sunday Night Baseball months and months and months ago around the 20th anniversary of 9-11, because we know there are going to be really emotional moments this weekend. But wow, this series, <laughs> incredible importance for both these teams. Yeah, I know you and Michael discussed the significance of 9-11, and that always overshadows every every aspect of baseball in New York. But, um, you know, was there at City Field or Shea Stadium, you know, at Piazza's home run, and now you have these two teams, you know, in the shadows of, of the anniversary of that um with significant games with significant news around each team um every game i mean i know it's cliche but every game counts and now that we're at september and you're going to be looking at the 12th of september on sunday um both of these teams are you know are, are fighting for playoff existences and and neither one of them has been consistent enough to look at like you would the Rays or the Dodgers or the Giants or the White Sox or Astros. There's there's always uncertainty around them, and they seem to, uh, whether it's Thumbs Down and Baez and Lindor or DeGrom or it's the Yankees' inability to string together victories after winning 13 in a row following Iowa to look like the team that shouldn't make the playoffs right now. Uh, yeah, the magnifying glass is enormous. and. Uh, to, to the credit of the great programming director, Rick Mace, we, we stepped in here with these two teams. And uh, more importantly, it, it has to do with that nine with 9-11 and, 
and all that goes with it. But the game itself is, is you, you can't overstate how important it is to both of those teams in every game, not just Sunday, Saturday, Friday, next week. Every game for these teams means, means massive stuff. I am shocked by the inconsistency of the Yankees offense. Uh, you know, it felt like it, especially once they got the 13 game win streak, it's like, okay, here, here we go. This is what the the Yankees front office, Aaron Boone envisioned, you know, in the off season, when they put this lineup together, this is what they envisioned when they add Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. And just in watching those games, Carl, in recent days, it's like uh, you know, scoring runs for the Yankees is a shocking challenge. You know, it's when they're going well, uh, they they bludgeon you. When they were when a bunch of guys were injured, and Aaron Boone was playing um, lesser known players who were probably a little more athletic and relied on bunting and moving runners up and stealing bases. There there was a there was just a different, obviously a different feel and look to them. I, I think when I when I look at baseball and we do every day, and you look at the teams that are having success. And given that the Blue Jays just went in there and swept the Yankees, there's there's a youthful vigor about the way they play. There's an attitude about the way that the Rays play. The Giants are are, are sort of a combination of both of those. We talked about dynamic offenses and we talk about the White Sox and we talk about the Astros uh, and we talk about the Dodgers and the the addition of Trey Turner to that lineup makes them far more dynamic than they were without him. The, the Yankees, I don't think the word dynamic would come to mind. And those teams I just mentioned um, are, are the ones that that you fear more because they can just do more. They, they do hit with two strikes. They do move the runner up. They do take the extra base. And when the Yankees are going really well, you know, they're, they're, they're just hitting the baseball. Like think about Stanton. Like if Stanton's symbolic of the Yankees, it yeah. means he's killing the baseball. Like that's how they win. They kill the baseball. Joey Wendell doesn't always kill the baseball. Um, the Giants, you know, Donovan Solano wasn't known for killing the baseball. He put it in play. He hit it hard, but it didn't go over the wall every time. It's like if the Yankees aren't killing the baseball, they're not going to win where the Dodgers and the Giants and the Astros and the White Sox and the Rays, they, they win without they can win without that aspect. And I'm sure there are analytics that suggest it's not always that way with the Yankees, but it feels that way. And I think if it feels that way and they're not getting two home runs a game, then they're, they're, the chances of them winning compared to those other teams we just talked about, they're, they're not going to win. And the Mets are a little bit like the Yankees that way. So, yeah, um, the inconsistency, I think, for me, comes from that aspect. They, they, they don't have enough seemingly different ways to win where those other teams do. Earlier this week, Sandy Alderson, the president of the Mets, uh, spoke about Jacob deGrom's situation. And at the end of it, it had you scratching your head, which is why we had Stefania Bell on. And she, uh, earlier this week in the podcast, described the reasons why he said made no sense. And then Jacob deGrom, Carl, yesterday uh, seemed to make, you know, throw even more mud into the, the situation. He was running onto the field. Reporters were standing there. He apparently didn't stop to take any questions, but he just stopped to give this statement. 
I know what was said, but my ligament is perfectly fine. I've been throwing. I wouldn't be throwing if I had a compromised ligament. That's the plan to continue to throw and build up and see where we end up. I'm scratching my head even more, Carl. (laughs) The idea that his ligament is perfectly fine, that seems crazy to me. Why would he be out? He wouldn't be if the ligament was perfectly fine. Um, Look, uh, the the medical profession is defined as wonderful at what she does, and she's the expert on all that. Um, You know, but but the sort of what appears to be, if not even uh, a blurred line, the fine line or no line between uh, tears and then other words to describe strains and sprains. And people will tell you, well, a strain is a small tear. Right. Um, I would, Im- I would imagine that, that in that gray, that's exactly where Jacob de Gram is, is existing, that there is, there is something, something wrong there. There is something slightly torn there. Perfectly fine is his way of saying, well, it is it is fine for me to pitch, and we'll see where we end up. No, nobody would say we'll see where we end up if you had a you know a 100% healthy ligament. The same way that, that maybe Zach Britton was supposed to get a bone chip removed and he had you know reconstructive surgery. I, I, I think they're all varying degrees of constantly being injured, and and then it's it's just how bad. I mean Tanaka was a was an incredible example of somebody who was able to pitch with clearly what was a tear, if not being described as a strain it was torn but he was able to to pitch with it and maybe jacob believes that he's gonna be able to do that or at least try and and as he said see where we end up um again all all those anytime you get into these injuries and issues um you you realize you're walking a tightrope because the perception of one may be different from the perception of the other within the organization let alone within the person's own mind who's dealing with the injury. And um, it, it's it's kind of a no-win proposition to speculate because I certainly don't know. You, you know, you don't know. Jacob thinks he knows because the doctors have told him, and I would think the doctors would tell you there's a certain degree of uncertainty in all of these injuries, especially an arm and an elbow. Yeah, whatever Jacob deGrom thinks is in his elbow, it's different than what Sandy Alderson said the other day. Yeah, <laughs> that's all without I question. Like, we, it's, it's hard to find a consistent strain of thought between all these things happening. All we know is that he's not pitching uh, at, at a time when the Mets obviously could really use him. Uh, before you go, what did you make of what Hunter Renfro said and you know the pushback from first Major League Baseball and then the Boston Red Sox? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, I think again, <laughs> this isn't the, this isn't the strain versus the tear, um, <laughs> but I, I'm sure that there is. Uh, I'm sure that in Hunter Renfro's mind, um, either he heard that, uh, or he what he heard wasn't exactly relayed the same way from him to to the uh, to I think it was Lou Merloni um, that. The Red Sox believe, and again, the Red Sox statement of we we have listened to and continued to abide by all protocols for Major League Baseball. Um, I don't have a memo in front of me or an email that says here's here's how we're going to proceed with uh, COVID. I, I know that there are some within that organization who are curious as to why we weren't shut down when last year. Uh, one case seemed to shut down a team or two cases shut down a team and series were canceled this year, G- given vaccination rates, um, 
and 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 given i guess the the protocols for handling covid and thankfully nobody has has died from this at the at the major league level that uh they believe major league baseball we we can continue to play we can control this we can isolate we've improved as i said vaccinations contact tracing um and I don't want to, I'm not minimizing the way that it's being handled by any stretch of the imagination. You, you know where I stand on all this. Um, but I think that they believe they have a better handle on handle on it. And as a result, they can withstand teams, uh, having, having outbreaks like the Red Sox did and carrying on as opposed to closing down. Whether that's right, that's another conversation. But I, I'm sure that there's a there's a certain degree of truth in what Hunter Renfro is saying, and certainly a degree of truth in what the Red Sox and Major League Baseball are saying. My my guess is it's it's been a moving target, Buster, and it continues to be somewhat of a moving target. With obviously the belief uh, from just about everybody within the sport that they're doing a much better job of controlling it and handling it than, than everybody did when this first, when this first started. I think you describe it absolutely perfectly, Carl. <laughs> I think you describe <laughs> the situation uh, right down to, to a T in terms of what's actually happening. All right. Uh, have a, uh, have a good round today. Thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. See you Sunday. Looking forward to it, but. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? Doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? I'm excited because your forgotten franchise is one that's near and dear to my heart this week. Yes. So, Buster, the Montreal Expos, they're not exactly a forgotten franchise to most of us. But the fact is that they played their final game almost 17 years ago. I was there, so they warrant a salute this week, especially for our younger listeners. Montreal joined the National League as an expansion club in 1969, and their birth was hardly easy. Their home stadium, Jerry Park, which I know we're going to talk about after, was not the club's first choice. That would have been the Autostad, a modular sporting facility that was constructed of 19 linked precast concrete grandstands, each 40 <laughs> seats wide, arranged around a central field. Very strange. Jerry Park turned out to be a better choice, however, and it was hurriedly expanded to 28,000 seats in time for the Expo's inaugural campaign, which was less than stellar as the club went 52 and 110, finishing 48 games behind the NL East and world champion New York Mets. The arrival of Major League Baseball in French-speaking Quebec necessitated a whole new vocabulary buster, a knuckleball, la balle papillon, which is literally <laughs> a butterfly ball floating about, wings a flutter. A pitcher is le lanceur, the thrower or launcher, and the catcher is le receveur, the receiver. The Expo's tricolor logo deserves an entire segment unto itself, of course, and the team featured a host of great players and Hall of Famers, including Gary Carter, Tim Raines, and Andre Dawson. They fielded a series of championship-caliber clubs, including the 1994 version, whose dreams were cut short when that season ended in a labor dispute in August, leaving Expo fans to wonder what might have been. 
the team was 74 and 40 when things shut down. Attendance declined as the club shed players, the franchise languished at Olympic Stadium, and the Expos played a quarter of their home schedule in Puerto Rico in both 2003 and 2004. In 2005, the club, of course, moved to Washington, D.C., where they play today as the Washington Nationals. But, but for 36 seasons, the Expos were no more, our loved ones to Montreal fans, and they are this week's forgotten franchise. Beautifully written, Todd, uh, for sure. And we'll see if uh, someday in the future they'll have a baseball franchise back there. But you're right. I'm going to talk about Jerry Park because I got to go there when I was 10 years old. Uh, I called up the box score this morning, September 29th, 1974. They played the Philadelphia Phillies. Ken Singleton, of course, the longtime broadcaster for the New York Yankees uh, it, uh, in, in recent years, uh, hit a grand slam in the first inning. And that's when I got the autograph I wanted to get from the only player I focused on that day, and that was former Dodger Willie Davis, who was traded for Mike Marshall, who would win the Cy Young Award for his performance that year. But Jerry Park, near and dear to my heart. What are your memories of baseball up there when you've gone there? So I never made it to Jerry Park, which means I'm totally jealous of you, Buster, but you had greater <laughs> proximity having grown up where you did. Right, in uh, Vermont. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it wasn't that far of a drive. Exactly. Uh, but growing up in New York, I did get to one game at Olympic Stadium. Uh, it was 1988. Uh, went up there with a couple of buddies. And let's face it, if you're in your 20s and you want to do a little baseball road trip, there are far worse places to go than Montreal. So uh, we enjoyed every single piece of it. It was amazing. What an incredible city. But I remember a couple of things, Buster. First of all, Olympic Stadium, let's face it, not a uh, top caliber stadium. It was very dreary in there. The roof was permanent, permanently closed by then. But I remember, it's just so strange. Uh, they played the Dodgers and I remember these just vast hallways. It was a gigantic place. Yeah. And uh, remember some strong Canadian beer, uh, all, soaked up all of the atmosphere. And I, I do have to say, you know, I've been to Montreal several times since then. Just an amazing city. I love the fact that I can drive there. Feels like you're, you're driving a, to Europe or something. And I do hope that Montreal gets a major league club again at some point. And hopefully they get a downtown stadium. Yeah, and your description's perfect about baseball in the, in the O, uh, how it, it was kind of dreary. But on the other hand, I, you know, me as a who grew up as a Dodger fan, I'll uh, never forget when they played against the Expos in 1981. And in the ninth inning, Rick Monday hitting a home run. And I've told this story before about how I was running cross country as a senior that fall. And I waited and waited and waited before joining practice. And Mr. Mooney, my coach, was not happy about that. But I burst into the room as, as the team meeting was underway. And I was like, the Dodgers took the lead. And he didn't want to hear it. I don't think he uh, was too happy that I was sitting down there listening to the Dodger game on the radio while they're having practice, you know? Buster's Blue Monday. That's it. That was it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right, guys. Here we go. Uh, this was the most recent expansion team to win its first ever regular season game. Was it the Devil Rays, the Marlins, the Royals, or the Blue Jays? Most recent expansion team to win its first ever regular season game. Devil Rays, Marlins, Royals, or Blue Jays? All right, Taylor, what do you got? I think I got this one. 
I feel like Devil Rays is the obvious answer. I'll go Devil Rays. I don't know. I'll go Marlins. Buster, you didn't overthink it this week. It was the Marlins. Uh, they beat your your childhood team, the Dodgers, six to three in nineteen ninety three, and I totally remember watching that on TV. Charlie Huff throwing yep. poppyon balls all over the map. That that's exactly why I remember it was old Charlie Huff. Who, if I remember correctly, he was a smoker. So between innings, when they would pan to the dugout, you get the old knuckleballer who's in his late forties and he's going <laughs> back and catching his breath. It's a half inning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a different world back then in 1993. Man. So, Taylor, uh, I think, what, what do we have? How many weeks left, Todd? We got like five weeks? Oh, we're getting, I mean, you know, it depends on how far we go. We are, we just completed week 26. So, I figured we probably take it up to about 32 or 33. And I Depending upon how long lead, the World Series goes. And I've got a five victory lead. Uh, so after today, you have uh, is Buster eight, Taylor four, and fourteen ties, <laughs> <laughs> which means we both got it wrong most of the time. Yeah. So it's 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 crunch time. You know, I think it, if uh, FanGraphs are doing this, they would have Taylor's chances for making the postseason around three point six percent. What do you think, Taylor? That's better than zero, which is what I thought my <laughs> my chances would be. So there's still a chance. Oh, my God. Don't let us win today. I'm going to bring up Kevin Millar every week from here on out. <laughs> All right, Todd. All right. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for Glorious Friday. We have Jared McKinnis at Cupstradamus. Jared writes in a two-run game, ninth inning, Yankees trailing. Blue Jays coming up with the three, four, and five, all right-handed batters who collectively have seven home runs in the series. Aaron Boone, I guess his, his thought process, let's throw a lefty with an ERA of seven since we traded for him. Jared, really, really just like your thoughts on uh, Boone's bullpen management last night. Yeah, and I think Michael Kay defined it well uh, during the ninth inning last night and saying, look, if, it's a total reflection of how the Yankees' depth has been cut into. Uh, first off, it starts with the fact that Araldis Chapman is struggling so badly that you know you, you can't necessarily trust him. They were holding back Chad Green potentially to close. Then you have the fact that Jonathan Loisega is now out indefinitely. Then you throw in the fact that Zach Britton is out and so Aaron Boone, the, you know, the coaching staff, is, is left to sort through a lot of imperfect choices. It's not to excuse that choice. It's just to give some more context. And by the way, uh, Taylor, we got this cool uh, bleacher tweet from Chris Judge. You know, Earlier in the week, we had that conversation about the flip play uh, and, and sort of where that ranks in Derek Jeter lore. And in Tim Kirchin's piece, there was, uh, you know, he got some details from folks, uh, oral history from folks uh, from that night. And there had been a question about whether or not when Jeremy Giambi didn't slide, did Ramon Hernandez from the on-deck circle run out and signal to uh, Giambi that he needed to slide? Well, Chris Judge tweeted at us that if you skip to the flip highlights, you can see Hernandez signaling to Giambi to slide. And he's right. He included the video and he's exactly right. You can see Ramon Hernandez waving at Giambi, get down, get down. But Giambi came through standing up. Uh, love the uh, the forensic uh, research there from Chris. Thanks for, for sending that in. Thanks for writing in everyone for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter when you're watching games over the weekend. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Michael Kay, to Carl Ravage, to Todd Radom, and to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.